0: 91. The investment manager seeking opportunities in change. The world is constantly shaped by change and change brings opportunities, but opportunities are not always obvious. 91 was born in times of change and has seen past its distractions to seek real investment opportunities to help clients reach long-term investment goals. 91. Investing for a world of change. Find out more at 91.com. Capital at risk. 91 is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.
1: Hello again. We have covered the widest array of asset classes, ideas and investment thinking on this Future Thinking podcast, but rarely have we looked at regions as a whole. Today, all that changes. As always, I'm Chris Slowly, the editor of Citywide Selector, and my guest is James Sim, a recent recruit for UK Group River and Mercantile. The Europe ex-UK equity veteran, who joined from Schroders at the start of the year, jumped ship to give his new employer an edge in the increasingly competitive European market. We'll hear how he's going about it, as well as getting an understanding of how perhaps more than markets, politics and economics have become so crucially interwoven. For those of you keeping score at home, there is the obligatory ESG chat with James, staying true to his unconstrained banner with some choice words for those not practising what they preach. If you have any thoughts or insights, please let me know and you can reach me in the contact details below. Enjoy and speak next time. james thank you very much well thank you as i said thank you for doing this on a friday afternoon and uh, hopefully this will be one of the last engagements of the day and then you can move on to something a bit more pleasant that's a terrible way to set things up for a chat but anyway so we're talking and i've been doing future thinking now this is the third series one thing we've never really tackled are regions We've, we've looked at concepts we've looked at different asset classes we've even looked at space we've looked at neuroscience but I suppose the future of Europe is as important as any of those things. And as a Europe ex UK, a long-term European investor, thought you were the perfect person to speak to. And also because your fund is operating with an unconstrained approach, I assume that gives you a bit more of a ability to look at things as a whole. So if I can start with that, when you launched your new fund, you talked about the pandemic can actually act as a genesis for a brighter future for the region. If that's the quote, if that's correct. Did you go into a bit more detail about that what, what do you mean by that where are the opportunities as a result
2: it's an interesting one isn't it because i, I can't, I can't even remember who said it but you know every, in every uh, crisis there is an opportunity and uh, obviously as fund managers we see that um, at the sort of micro level quite often don't we because I, I remember meeting a management team in 2000 i started my career in the city in 2008 and i, I saw a, a bunch of businesses uh, in 09 and i vividly remember one of the uh, earliest first ever meetings i did um where the management team said to me you know never you, you never want to waste a good crisis and what they meant by that was they could make it was a great opportunity to make the business more lean more efficient and i yeah. guess we're all seeing that in our daily lives aren't we you know um this whole idea that perhaps we don't need to go into the office uh eight till six five days a week um, but I guess the, tr- the same is true, isn't it, at a sort of macro level? So there were some quite important shifts that were sort of taking place towards the end of the last business cycle. I'm a business cycle. Investors will often think in terms of cycles. And, um, but by the end of the last cycle, the idea that you could uh, you know, cut your way to success, I suppose, you know, basically undergo austerity in order to de-gear your economy while having interest rates very low. Yeah, of course. was was, had pretty much fallen out of favor. And I guess that's what I'm referring to. Um, That was already
1: in train, but the crisis then became the the opportunity to kind of accelerate that trend. Does that then make it a good time? I don't want to make this fund focused, but in terms of being an unconstrained investor at a time where there are those changes and there are those opportunities that there might not have been, does that make it prime time to be operating like that in Europe? Well, I I think it makes it a good time to be a contrarian. Okay, In what way? In what context?
2: Yeah, so, so so so, what do we mean by contrarian? I mean, basically what tends to happen, isn't it, is that you have a, a trend, an investment trend that becomes very well established. And 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 obviously the one over the previous cycle was all about quality, uh, long-duration assets, capital-like businesses, you know, a bunch of different variables in many ways, but certainly, um, you know, with a common theme, if you like. Whereas the previous uh, cycle had all been about... Um, you know, Deglobalisation, uh, and I'm sure if you were investing through the 70s, you'd have had a very different uh, mindset. And so these these trends get very well established, and then they tend to end up um, kind of falling under their own steam because they create problems. Of course, every every dynamic um, has its own issues, and and then policy is designed to solve that problem. Okay, and 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 also if if, if a particular trend becomes very fashionable, it starts to attract capital, and therefore uh, the returns, returns get eroded um, and so th- what's a bit unusual this time is all the stuff that did fantastically well through the crisis was also the stuff that had done pre- really well over the previous 10 yeah, years of course. and that's why I say I think it's a really good time to be take a contrarian mindset because I'm, I'm pretty sure we can all almost anecdotally um, think about how the last six months has been so different um, and how we can feel the winds of change, you know, whether that's politics, economics, you know, inflation. Uh, we're recording this at the time of the uh, fuel pumps running dry in the UK. So you can, you can really feel that, that there's a sense of, of change in the air. And yet, if you look at the stock market, it's kind of priced all the stuff that's done brilliantly over the last decade. It's also done brilliantly over the last 18 to 24 months, really. So that that that's why I think it's a great time to be a contrarian, because effectively you've got a, such a big opportunity
1: set. One thing that's also happened, and I think this is slightly related to the, the petrol crisis, I don't want to go into it in too much detail, is, is we did see Brexit as well. You're a Europe ex-UK investor. I'm based in London. I did make in the notes beforehand, I joked that I'd love to get through this without talking about Brexit, but it seems inevitable. Mm. Looking at the future of the union then, if we can move on to more political footing, do you see any more succession? Secession, sorry. Do you see any more states trying to break away? We had Greece in 2011-12 talking about it. That seems to have gone away now that the UK has done it. What's the strength of the union in your mm. eyes? Mm.
2: Yeah, so that, that's not... Um, I mean, I won't I won't delve into the politics if that's okay. Of course. In, in a way, it, my job is not to say what I think should happen. It's to say what is going to happen in the end a portfolio. And um, I was... From a purely investment perspective, no, no matter what my political view, I was concerned around the Brexit vote because I felt it could, as you allude to, catalyze a breakup of the union, um, particularly, of course, if, if, if the UK um, was successful um, post, post-Brexit. And actually, in a funny way, and I don't know if this is psychology, but it's sort of my enemy's enemy is my friend, but it's become actually a very cohesive event for the rest of Europe. So rather than the rest of Europe going, looking at the UK, going, I have quite fancy a bit of that.
0: They've all banded it's almost, together.
2: It's almost yeah. put them all, banded them all together. And, and, you know, we're going back into history, aren't we? I found um, uh, uh, Hammond's documentary and, and, and papers and interviews that he did around the Brexit negotiations absolutely fascinating. And obviously their strategy, you can see it from the outside, the strategy was to try and sort of hive off the French on fishing rights and hive off the Germans on you know, as some other topic that was important to them and the, the, the Dutch on competition policy and all this kind of stuff. And it didn't work, really, did it? I mean, the, we we, we, end, we started negotiating with Barnier and we ended negotiating with Barnier, uh, representative of all 27 countries. Um, and, and so that was quite interesting, I think. So I, in a funny sort of way, I actually think Brexit's been quite a cohesive event for Europe. Now, that's not to say there aren't a large subset of the populations that would like to leave uh, Europe and and for for, for very many good reasons and legitimate reasons. But I don't think that would be my base case over the next five to 10 years. It may be over the next 30 years because obviously some very big structural problems. Uh, But I think over the next five to 10, which is kind of the investment horizon, I don't think that's something we're gonna have to worry too much about, famous last words.
1: Well, we'll see, won't we? we'll have to check in in a decade's time and see what's what's come of that. But I think the that really does touch upon a point I was trying, I was hoping to make is is I'm as guilty as anybody of treating, for example, the emerging markets as one homogenous block. People tend to do the same with Europe, especially continental Europe, treat yeah. it as treat because it's one currency, it's seen as one trading zone. Is that a mistake? Are there pockets within it that you think are, are primed to have a better future than others? And in both, again, let's keep it on the investing stance rather than the political mm-hmm. stance, just for, for the sake of, of falling down a political well, I guess.
2: I mean, you call, you call this uh, series of podcasts Future Thinking. Um, so let's do a bit of that for Europe. Um, the last cycle very clearly belonged to the American equity market. Um, and there's some pretty well-trodden reasons for that. Um, but, the, but the primary one from a fundamental perspective is that they're bloody good at big tech. Uh, they're quite prepared to allow very large companies become much larger and, and, and generate a monopoly and, and, and therefore have the platform for global dominance. And it's probably quite been quite a good strategy, to be honest, uh, for the US. And it's been very rewarding as an equity investor in that market. If we're doing some future thinking, what's really going to be the big theme for the next decade? I mean, there's some, you mentioned some of the, but you mentioned space at the beginning. Of course, that'll be, that'll be very interesting to watch. But what's really going to dominate the economic trajectory? And for me, it's pretty clear. And that's decarbonisation and inflation. And I suppose that's what I've tried to expose the portfolio to, to play those trends. Now I'm a contrarian, so the very idea that I'd be exposing a portfolio to decarbonisation when it's such a well-known, well-trodden theme and trend is is, is a bit of a, um, a, a challenge, I suppose, a paradox. So how do we do that is one interesting question. Um, but yes, I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of companies in Europe. Some have done well, some have done badly. But thinking about what pockets are really exciting over the next ten years. If we take decarbonisation as a, as a good example, that is trillions and trillions of euros, dollars, pounds of investment. And Europe's bloody good. In the same way that the US
1: is bloody good at big tech, Europe's bloody good at ESG. Well, that's what I was going to ask, because it has been the front runner. Right? The Nordics, the, the Lowlands, they've all had huge and, and massive inroads there. They've got some of the biggest companies globally doing this type of stuff. So in your opinion, do you think they can hold on to that lead? Or will there be, for example... Chinese insurgents or US insurgents who could perhaps take their market share, or do you think they've got enough of an edge to retain it?
2: There will definitely be, and we're already starting to see this, particularly, interestingly, some of the most well-loved areas. You know, If you want to build a wind farm, right, the, the preeminent wind farm operator globally is probably Orshed, previously Dong Energy, a Danish company. Now, um, they've, they've done a brilliant job and they've been very profitable shares are up five times since IPO just a few years ago. Um, now, of course, the issue is that everybody now wants to build wind farms, including all the big oil companies, not because they want to make a particularly great return. It's just existential to their existence that they get away from oil. So they're deploying a lot of capital there, as are the Chinese, to, to your point. Now, if you want to then build, if it, let's go down that supply chain. If you want to uh, build a wind farm, you need the, the, the turbines. And you either go to Siemens, Gemessa or Vestas. Um, now. This is a bit of a bit of a story about a sort of a European fund manager war story. But I remember in 2012 going to see Gamessa, as was well then in Madrid. Uh and the CEO had come from uh, the auto industry from GKN, I've explained how he's going to get to a 12% operating margin. At, w- at which point I, you know, the whole room, you know, drenched in skepticism, basically said, you know, if you make 12% margin, you're going to make a 25% return. This is a commodity industry, absolutely no chance. And guess what? He made it. But ultimately, I think that premise wasn't incorrect. You know, this is a super cyclical industry that's been, you know, as when I started doing European equities, it was well known for periodically profit warning. that one 100 times earnings, of course. Um, so that, for me, is that there are areas like that where the Chinese are going to be very able to compete. You know, they've got very good technology, for example. But then, of course, there are pockets um, where Europe does have some competitive advantages. Where would they be? I mean, if we stay in the same industry. Um, cable manufacture, the big three cable manufacturers globally are Prismian, NKT, and Nepsans. You know, if you want to connect those wind turbines up, you need some high voltage direct current cable uh, for the offshore ones. And there's only three companies in the world that can make that. And that is very challenging for the Chinese to get into, not not only because of the technology, but also because of the availability of resource and so forth. So I, I think that's that's certainly one area. I mean I guess another um sort of head start, I don't know if it's a you know, they'll never be able to catch up, but it's certainly a first mover advantage, is the ability to decarbonize these energy intensive sectors. And that's definitely it's a big theme for me within my portfolio, you know, and that's how as a contrarian you can Really make a lot of money. I think I almost think ESG is a very big um, theme for a contrarian.
1: So that's focusing on the the ones that have to do much more work to decarbonise, rather than looking at the companies that are facilitating decarbonisation.
2: It's more. It's more that um, if you want a low carbon portfolio today as an investor, that's very straightforward, and you can pat yourself on the back and say, you know, whatever I'm double A rated or triple A rated uh, because I've, from an ESG perspective, because I've I've got low carbon emissions. But of course, we're all sat in steel and cement buildings. And unless we've got the ability to decarbonize that steel and cement industry, we're not going to hit our goals as a society. No, and just avoiding the issue by investing in, I don't know, an advertising agency or a branded goods company that just happens to have low carbon emissions while you're sat in your steel and cement building. I mean, in a way, it's hypocritical. No, usually you should really be thinking about how can you help those industries decarbonize. And and that's where European equities get very interesting, because if you want to produce green steel, low carbon steel, the, the, the predominant technology globally, which is the blast furnace plus the basic oxygen process, produces about 2,000 kilograms of CO2 per tonne of steel. If you use an electric arc furnace, that's it's about a third. So it's still 600 kilos of CO2 per ton of steel. It's still carbon intensive. it activity. is on
1: that way towards decarbonisation rather than just doing the same thing over and over and then trying to offset it somewhere else. Absolutely. And we're going to need steel. And by the way, we're going
2: to need more of it because there's a few billion people in the emerging world that would quite like to live in glass and steel and cement buildings, if that's OK with uh, the, the wealthy West. Um, and so that's really how you can approach it. Now, your standard ESG approach would exclude that business. The company I'm thinking of is Danielli, which we own, an Italian company, Um, got loads of technologies and it goes beyond actually just the electric arc furnace. They've actually got a whole roadmap to get you to zero carbon steel. Um, They have really struggled to grow over the last decade, really struggled. Cheap, cheap, cheap company, cheap, cheap share. Um, But, you know, for me, that is a fantastic opportunity as a contrarian, because it's geared into all the same long term themes that all the teslas of the world are geared into but it's out of favor at the moment so um it's actually fairly straightforward what you're trying to do is find enablers and um improvers rather than just good versus bad so yeah thinking about future thinking um i don't think the way we approach esg and the stocks that are highly rated from an esg perspective today are going to be the same
1: ones that are going to be there in 10 years time i think that's a good and thought-provoking end so Thank you very much, James. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me today. Absolutely. really enjoyed it. Cheers.
0: 91. The investment manager seeking opportunities in change. The world is constantly shaped by change and change brings opportunities, but opportunities are not always obvious. 91 was born in times of change and has seen past its distractions to seek real investment opportunities to help clients reach long-term investment goals. 91. Investing for a world of change. Find out more at 91.com. Capital at risk. 91 is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.